Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Southern Gospel Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Wilkie, and today we have one of my favorite tenor singers and a great friend on the show. His name is Phil Barker. Phil, how are you, brother? I'm doing great. Hope you are. I'm doing wonderful. Glad to have you on the show, brother. Oh, it's good to be here. I've been looking forward to doing this. Yeah, I know it. I I, I talked to you about doing this a while ago, and uh, we're finally getting to do it, so that's great. Yeah, I thought you'd forgot about me. <laughs> I would never forget about <laughs> you, brother. <laughs> I hear you. But uh, anyway, well, to get started, how did you become a fan of gospel music? Before you got into the industry, how did you become a fan of gospel music? Well, I've been singing gospel music just about all my life. When I was just a little boy, my mom and two of my sisters used to sing. My youngest sister could play a piano by the time she could get up on the piano bench by herself. She just sat down and started playing. So mom played the guitar and uh, they would go sing. They did a lot of uh, radio programs on Saturday for different preachers and i would go with them and sometimes i would stand in a chair and sing and sometimes i wouldn't but that's how i've got it i got in gospel it's always been a love of mine and uh what really got me intrigued and wanting to do it when i was just a kid probably 10 maybe 11 years old uh there used to be a gospel concert that went on three or four times a year in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And Bill Hefner that started the Harvester's Quartet, and he ended up going into Congress. He was in the House of Congress for several years. He did a a TV program in Winston-Salem, and he'd put on a big singing about four times a year at Reynolds Auditorium at a high school. And I went to that one time, and I don't remember who took me, but I, I, the only group I remember being on the program that day was uh, Big Lou and the Prophets Quartet. That's a quartet that started out of St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, uh, I went that day and they came out. And when they started that four-part harmony, I couldn't sit still. Mm-hmm. I got up and stood in the back of the auditorium. And there was a wall back there. I was just tall enough to see over it a little bit. And I remember thinking that day that uh, someday I'm going to do that. And little did I know then that uh, later, later on, you know, years to come, that I ended up getting to sing with one of those original members of the Prophets Quartet, and that was Mr. Ed Hill. That's awesome. Uh, I thought it was. That, that four-part harmony just did something to me. I, I couldn't sit still and... Uh, so I got up and got to myself where I could really enjoy it like I wanted to. That's awesome. So tell me your uh, your history in gospel music. How did you get started in gospel music? And tell me all the groups you were with and all that stuff. Well, I sung for a little group out of my church when I was probably, I don't know, 14 maybe. We started a little group and... Uh, We went several places, but uh, then I started singing with a local group here in the county that uh, was a little better, you know, more well-known. And we traveled quite a bit, like at Ohio and 
you know, different places like that. And then uh, it, I was just, I wanted to do it. And, you know, professionally, I wanted to, you know, do it full time. And a friend of mine came to me one day and uh, he had a clipping out of the singing newspaper. And he said, I want you to do something for me. And I said, what? He said, I want you to send in this, uh, answer this ad. And I looked at it and it was a group. I didn't know who it was. Uh, wanting a tenor singer. And I looked at him and I said, man, you're crazy. I wouldn't have a chance of getting a job with somebody like that. And he got it back away from me, out of my hand. And he said, if you don't send it in, I'm going to send it in for you. So I said, well, I'll send it in. So I took it with no intentions of ever doing it, you know, sending it in. So I went home and I laid it on my dresser. And about three weeks later, I happened to remember that thing and I got looking for it and it got slid back under a jewelry box and I got it out and I looked at it and I thought it's not going to hurt anything. Send it in. So they wanted a picture and uh, something with me singing on it. So I sent them a little tape and a pit. I just got out in the yard and made a picture with a Polaroid camera. And I sent it to the address. I didn't even put my phone number on it. Mm -hmm. Well, about a week and a half, two weeks later, I got a letter in the mail wanting me to call a certain phone number that I hadn't put my number on the uh, resume that I sent in. Yeah. Well, I called, and lo and behold, it was the Dixie Melody Boys. Uh-huh. And they were wanting me to come down to Kinston and sing with the guys see how what we you know sounded like and wanted me to meet everybody so i got in the car that afternoon and i drove as hard as i could go to kentston north carolina and i met the bass player rev blankester i met him at a hardy's mm. in, on main street in kentston how about that and so we went from there to uh, Mr. Ed had his wife on the daycare center and we went there. She had a piano and we went in. I met everybody and we just started singing some old hymns and we didn't sing, but maybe four or five. I didn't know the first song that the Dixie Melody Boys did. I'd never heard of them, but I, you know, I liked what I saw, you know, and what I heard. Mm -hmm. And in a minute, he said, uh, if you will, just step out of the room for a minute and let us talk. So in a few minutes, he called me in and said, you've got the job if you want it. And, man, this was um, all new to me. And plus, I owned a little clothing store here in, in town. And I thought, what? I want to do this, but what's, what's going to happen to my store? So I said, well, let me ask you this. When are you going to leave? And he said, he said, tomorrow night at midnight. I said, my goodness. So I told him I'd do it. And I left from Kinston. I drove all over the way back home, which took me six hours. I got my clothes ready. 
and I left the next day with the Dixon Melody Boys and was gone for two weeks. And I did that for eight months. I drove back and forth for eight months. But with that clothing store I had and everything, it was just too hard doing that long drive. And mm-hmm. the store wasn't doing that good, you know, with uh, somebody not there with it open all the time. And uh, finally, after eight months, I told him I just couldn't do it anymore. So when I left, uh, he said if he ever needed anybody else, he would call me. And I left from the Dixie Melody Boys and went with the Harvesters Quartet. Three, about three or three and a half years later, Ed called me again, and I went back and stayed with him from the end of 79 to the end of 79, 83. So that's how I got started. That's awesome. And then after the Dixie Melody Boys, that time, where'd you go? The last time I was with the, I was, I'm one of two people that's been with the Dixie Melody Boys twice. Yep. And cool. the first time I went with the Harvesters, then I uh, left, went back to the Dixie Melody Boys. I left and went back to the Harvesters again after four, four and a half years. And then I, I sung with the Harvesters for about four, four and a half years. And then after I left the Harvesters, I went with the Singing Americans. I was with the Singing Americans about three or four years. And then I left. And it wasn't long after that's when I went with the Trailblazers Quartet out of Dalton, Georgia. Uh-huh. And... Then after I left the Trailblazers, we started a group. Steve Lee that had sung with the Cathedrals. Yep. Richard Lee that sung with the uh, Stamps Quartet. And a guy in Graham, North Carolina, Bill Starlin, the bass singer. We started a group called Crimson River. Yep. And then uh, we had that for about four years, and I decided it was time for me to get out and I did, and then uh, after that, I sung solo for a while, and then uh, Joe Lane and a guy by the name of Rick Sheets met with me, and we started Jordan's Bridge. And the rest is history, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a, lot, that's a lot of history right there. Several years. Oh, yeah. Good It'll stuff. It'll make the old man out of you. Oh, yeah. Well, good stuff. Now, I put on Facebook that I was going to be interviewing you, and a lot of several folks asked questions. And uh, what you just told part of that part of that was a question, but also somebody else on Facebook wanted to know what what was it like singing with the Trailblazers. Tell me about them. Well. The way I got started with those guys, we when I was with the Singing Americans, we had sung with them. In fact, we'd sung at their church in Dalton a time or two, and I fell in love with those guys then. They were just down to earth. Uh, what you saw is what you got. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I was I had left Singing Americans, and I was sitting at home one day eating lunch. Is is right at twelve o'clock. And I got a phone call, and it was from Al Gentry, the baritone singer that sung with the Trailblazers. 
and he wanted to know what I was doing. I said, well, I'm eating my lunch right now. He said, uh, is there any way that you could meet us and sing with us tonight in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee? I said, my goodness, I don't have time to drive to Murfreesboro now. He said, I know that. He said, if you can get to Charlotte Airport, I'll have a plane ticket waiting on you, and you can fly into Nashville, and we'll pick you up. I just dropped my fork, ran out the door, got my clothes ready, drove to Charlotte Airport. I literally ran into the airport. They were getting ready to shut the door on the plane when I got got there. They let me on. And when I got to Nashville, they picked me up. And I went with them that week. And when I got back to Charlotte to get my car, I like to never found it because I didn't even take time to really pay attention to where I parked it. And I like to never found my car. Mm. But, uh, and that's another situation. I got up there uh, that day and did the concert. I didn't really know any of their songs. But like Jim Hamill used to be with the Kingsman used to say, as long as you can stand there on, on pitch and just say watermelon, you can fit in with the group. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's basically what I did. But uh, the people didn't know the difference. As long as you get the... The ending on it, that's all they remember. Oh, yeah, but that's that, awesome. That was, that was an experience uh, singing with those guys. A uh, little different than anything I'd ever been around. Uh, there was a lot of people that didn't want to really, I don't know really how to put it, they didn't really want to support those guys because they thought that they the people were being told to go to the concerts to show up to make a good showing for the Trailblazers. They thought mm -hmm. the the they thought the guy over their church and their over their denomination made them go, but that's not so. Those people went because that's really the only recreation they they got because of their beliefs. And going to a gospel concert was something that they really enjoyed and they really supported the trailblazers and man i've seen them uh we sung in uh, fort worth texas one time and i don't know how many there were several hundred showed up in in fort worth texas but they just supported the trailblazers and those there's a lot of those people down there that i still stay in contact with and of course, Al and Jesse, Al Gentry and Jesse Pratt, they've both done passed on now. And mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I talked to one of the guys down there the other day, and he's wanting me to come down to their church and do a little concert one Sunday. And I told them to let me know when they wanted me to do it, and I'd, I'd try my best to do it. But that that was a good experience. We traveled a lot, had a lot of fun, played a lot of golf. Saw a lot of people touched, you know, and that's what it's about is uh, seeing people uh, come to know the Lord and uh, seeing their spirits lifted. That That's what gospel music should be about. Amen. That's good stuff. Um, now, another uh, Facebook question that someone had on, on Facebook was, who is your favorite tenor singer? Well, now, I don't know why they'd even ask that. 
<laughs> you don't know why they ask that. Now, why is that, Phil? <laughs> well, I'm my favorite tenor. You're your favorite tenor singer. Yeah, I don't have many people that that you know that I'm their favorite, and I know you're. Uh, I'm your favorite, but uh, <laughs> who is my favorite tenor? That would be a hard question for me to answer because there's a lot of good tenor singers out there. Yep. That uh, that I really like to hear. Or you can say uh, your favorite uh, that's passed on, or however you want to answer that question. Uh, I don't know how to answer it really, because there's so many that that I've always liked. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, well, I'll tell you this. All right. Uh. Whenever I left the Trailblazers, they asked me if I knew of anybody that might would take the job singing with them. And back in that, at that time, there wasn't but one person I could think of. And I liked him. I liked it because his voice was clear and he was high. And he was just a good all-around guy. And I don't mind telling you who that was. A lot of people may not remember him, but I talked to him last night. And that's uh, Doyle Harper. Yep. That sung with the, that sung with the Dixie Echoes. Doyle's uh, one of my dearest friends. Doyle, and I got him that job with the Trailblazers. But I always liked Doyle Harper. Yep. He's one of my favorite tenor singers as well. Yeah. Uh, so, uh now, is there a singer that influenced your singing the most? Like, really, like influenced you as a singer? No, not to be honest, not really. There's, there's never been anybody that I tried to pattern myself after. Uh -huh. uh, I always, I always tried just to be myself. Right, that's good. Yeah. And I wanted, I wanted it whenever somebody heard me sing just like it was whenever uh say uh uh oh uh, my i'm having a senior moment right jd sumner whenever yeah. you heard jd sumner or jake Hess, you knew who that was singing there was no question right that's true and that's what i always wanted to do is just be myself and when somebody heard me, they said, there's no doubt that's Phil Barr. Mm -hmm. But yep. I never did really try to pattern myself after anybody, which I might should have. I might have might have been better or something, but I always just tried to be myself. Well, that's great. That's that's good. Uh, now, tell us about the New Year's Eve shuttle singings in Pennsylvania and some funny things that happened there. That's another Facebook thing that somebody asked about. Tell us about the shuttle singings in Pennsylvania and some funny things that happened there. Well, that really puzzled, puzzled me when I saw that question. I saw that somebody asked that question. Yeah. And I know who, who it was that asked the question. And I couldn't figure out what he was, what he was, uh, getting to trying to get me to remember, uh -huh. 
And so I called him. I wanted to know. I, I, I thought and thought and thought for a couple of days, what was he talking about? So I, when I called him, he laughed. And he had he had it mixed up with with something that other groups used to do. But what he was talking about was used to, up in Pennsylvania, every year, Around Christmas, I know a lot of people have been there and a lot of groups have sung there, but Garden Spot Promotions would promote a big singing up there and they would have it in two restaurants. One of them was Good and Plenty, that was in the Amish country, and the other one was Plain and Fancy. And they both had a big room where they could serve people their food and we could set up our sound equipment. And the way they did that, they'd have four groups. We would set our sound up in one place and the hoppers would set theirs up in the other place. Well, when we got set up, the hoppers would come over to our sound system and we'd go to theirs. And we would sing. We'd be singing at the same time. And then we'd have uh, another group to follow us. And then when we got through singing, we would leave and go to the other place. And that way we'd end up on our sound system. And uh, we would switch back and forth like that. But uh, whenever... Uh, Whenever he called me, he had it in his mind that whenever we sung that first time that we did all of the Hopper songs and, every, and, and in, even did the introductions, little jokes like Claude might say. And then when he got there, they would sing the same song and he'd say his jokes and the people wouldn't laugh. <laughs> but that wasn't what it was. What he was had in his mind was that, that we did it. But that was David Reese would do that at that big singing that they had in uh, Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, they would have the Blackwood Brothers in one place, in one building. And then they would have uh, the, the, uh, the Rangers trio. And David Reese... He was nothing but a monkey. I mean, he could come up with some of the funniest stuff. So I they would go funny. on stage. They would go on stage, and they would sing all of the Blackwood Brothers songs. <laughs> wow! Tell the same jokes, and then when they'd go to the other building, and the Blackwoods would come in there, the people would just sit and look at them. And and then James Blackwood found out what they were doing, <laughs> and uh, it, it, he didn't like it at all. But there wasn't much he could do about it. That's just the way David was. He was he was always pulling some kind of joke. Yeah, yeah. I've heard he was like that. I've heard he was a a card, as they used to say. Oh yeah, he was. Had oh, to yeah. beat it all. He was from my hometown. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, he sure was. In fact, I've sung a little bit with his brother Leon. Hey, We'd cool. get together about one time a year and sing a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's great. But uh man, the Rangers Trio, they were a great group, weren't they? Man, they were Oh, oh yeah, man. They had some great harmony. Something. In fact, in fact, we recorded 
a song that they did and they made it popular years ago. I'll be ready to go with him. Uh huh. Yes. And yep. when we put it out, and uh, it was on played on the radio, son. And one of those guys that original members, I think he's passed away now, but he contacted the other one and put a message out that we were singing their song. And I, I really, I appreciated that, 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 that they, they were paying attention and we tried to do it just exactly like they did it, but it was, it was a good song. It was real catchy, but oh, they yeah. really had some good stuff. Yes, they did. And, uh, <clears throat> awesome stuff. Now let's go back to your harvesters days in your harvesters days. You sang with a man by the name of Bob Thacker. Tell me about your friendship with him and tell me about Bob. What was he like and everything? Well, whenever I started singing with them, uh, Bob was, I don't know. He was just kind of like a daddy to me. Uh, a lot of people didn't understand Bob. Uh, they thought he was real gruff and rough and hard to get along with, but that wasn't so. Bob Thacker was one of the most honest men that I have ever traveled with. If he told you he was going to do something for you, you didn't have to worry about it. I mean, he did exactly what he said he would do. And uh, a lot of people, uh, I remember one night we were we were going to Pennsylvania or somewhere, and I'd always sit up with him. He did most of the driving back then. And he got to telling me some stuff one night. We were sitting there, and it was probably 2 o'clock in the morning, and we just got to talking and riding down the road, and he said, uh, he told, he said, I'm, I'm going to tell you some stuff that I've never told nobody else. He said, uh, uh, you're one of the best friends I've ever had. And I have, honest, I have seen the time he loved gospel music as good as anybody I've ever seen. And mm -hmm. I have seen the time, now I'm not tooting my own horn, but I have seen the time when we'd leave home, uh, he didn't have much money. Yeah. And I have seen the time that uh, while we were gone that week, I'd buy his food. Oh, I, wow. I, knew he didn't, I, did, I knew he didn't have the money, but he made sure we were paid. That's the type of guy he was. He would make sure we was paid whether he got anything or not. But back when he was, what made everybody, I don't I don't know. It, I probably shouldn't even tell this. I don't know, but I'm going to because a lot of people don't know this. But when he was a kid in school, he would have real bad migraine headaches. And if he could just lay his head down for just a few minutes and sleep a little, that migraine would go away. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, he and one of his friends one day, when they were little kids, was playing with a gun, and the gun went off. And his friend was shot. 
Mm. It didn't kill him, but he was shot. Yeah. Well, after that, even in school, he was a marked boy. When the school would start that the new year, and the teacher come to his name on the roll, they would make him move their his desk up beside of their desk where they could really keep a watch on him. And he said, if I could just lay my head down when I'd have one of those headaches and go to sleep, that headache would ease off. And he said, well, sometimes teachers go out of the room and I'd, I'd lay my head down, I'd have a headache. And the other kids would get to throwing paper and mess the room up. And when the teacher come back in and seen the room in a mess, guess who got the blame for it? Bob. He did. He did. Mm, that's bad. He had one teacher that he was sitting there at his desk asleep, and she came in, and the room was messed up, and she got him by the, the hair on the back of his head and raised his head up and smashed his face against the desk. Mm. And he he said that he hated that woman so bad that if he could have ever caught her out, he'd have killed her. But it's a yeah. good thing he did. But that's what made him. I don't know. It it affected him when he was a kid. That really affected him, and son, and he never did leave. But now he wasn't he wasn't rough and gruff and tough like like he wanted everybody to think. He was he was just a, a teddy bear, really. Oh yeah. But I loved him. I mean, I'd have done anything for him, and uh, you know, I mean, I just thought the world. Of, in fact, I thought the world of all of those guys. In fact, I was thinking about it the other day about every one of those guys that I sung with in the Harvesters, all but one has passed away. Every one of them. Oh, wow. Every one of them. Yeah. But, but he he was a good bass singer. Oh, man. Uh, Some kind of bass I know, singer. I know one time we were doing a recording at uh, Tri-State Recording with Tilford Salyer in Kingsport, Tennessee. His son, Rick, was on the soundboard, and we were doing that old song, Rainbow of Love. Yeah. And when Bob, he went down and hit a real low note. And when he did, I saw Rick. We could see him through the window. He jumped up and ran out of the studio. Well, when we went back in there to hear a playback, you know, to see how it sounded, Rick said, I guess y'all saw me run out of the room. And uh, said, yeah, he said, well, I've never had, I've had it to happen with somebody playing a, a brass instrument, but I've never had anybody's voice to do it. When Bob hit that low note, it came through those speakers in the control room and it vibrated his inner ear so much that he had to jump up and run to the bathroom and throw up. Oh, it triggered wow. his inner ear. And uh, we always aggravated Bob like that. that we, his voice was so bad it made man sick. <laughs> we, we'd kid him. But uh, I saw him do that. I mean, it, he he nailed that low note. Oh, yeah. And, uh, it made it made Rick Sawyer sick on his stomach. Yeah. But he, he, was a, he was a nice guy. I really loved traveling with Bob. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I wish I could have met him. And, uh, but that's uh that song you're talking about, Rainbow of Love, that was on the Streets of Gold album that the Harvesters did. And uh 
That's a great album. Yeah, that was a good album. It turned out good. And uh, Bob actually wrote that song, didn't he? Streets of Gold? Yes, sir. He sure did. Yeah. And another thing on that on that song, we sung with the Cathedral Quartet one time, right after Bob had just written that song. And we were sitting in a Union 76 truck stop after a concert one night, getting something to eat and to get fuel in the bus. And the, the uh, cathedrals came in, and there was a guy that played the piano with them. Uh, his name was Haskell Cooley. Uh-huh. And yep. we went over and sat at the table with them, and Bob told Haskell, he said, I've got a song I want you to do me some sheet music uh, for this song. He said, well, have you got the music to it so I can... Bob said, no, I don't have no music to it. That's what I want you to do. And we sat there at that table. It was funny watching people around us. Haskell took a napkin and he, Bob, sat there at the table in that old deep voice and sung Streets of Gold to Haskell Cooley, and he sat there and wrote his number charts down on a napkin, and he took that with him, and about, a, I don't know, it's three or four weeks, he called Bob and told him he had his sheet music done. And the cathedrals liked that song so good that they recorded it, and I think it finally went to number, I believe, number five in the nation by the cathedrals. So that that helped Bob out a lot too. But that was a good song. Yeah, it was a good song. And uh that's a cool story. I like that story. That's a that uh that shows you how talented Bob was. Uh, oh was yeah. A, he was a talented man, I know. Yeah, boy. He sure was. And uh now uh uh tell me your favorite song that you've ever been featured on. Do you have one? I sure do. What is and it? I sing it every. I sing it everywhere I go now. If I'm singing uh, with the group, which we've not sung a lot since COVID, but if I do a solo concert, I always end my pro program with this song, and it's one called "I Know Him." Yep. And oh. I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I like it. I've seen what the song will do. Uh, not too awful long ago. I have a cousin that pastors a church up in the mountains and he had called me and asked me if I would come and do a concert on Sunday morning and uh, at his church, it was their homecoming. And I told him that I would. I said, now I will sing what I can sing because I'd had COVID and the COVID affected my throat. Uh, I'm about over it now, which has been almost two years ago, but, uh, there for a while, I couldn't hardly sing over two or three two or three songs, and that was it. I would get so hoarse. But uh, I went to his church that Sunday morning, and I told him to be ready to preach because I, I wanted to hear him preach. It had been a long time since I'd heard him preach. And, uh, but I ended up doing six songs. My voice mm -hmm. stayed clear, and I ended my part of the program with that song, I Know Him. Yep. And he come up, you know, I thought he was going to preach. And he stood there a minute. He read a verse of scripture. And he said, that after hearing that song, he said, there's nothing else I can really say to go along 
you know, I, that song says it all. Yep. And he gave an invitation. Well, this man that was probably in his 50s came up crying and said he wanted to be saved. Mm. Well, after the service ended and everything, we went out into the fellowship hall and I was sitting there. I'd got my lunch and he came, uh, my cousin came over and sat down with me and he said, I just wanted to tell you, I don't know what you said. He said, I think it was that song. I know him and what you said made that guy come up today and get saved. And he said, he has been coming to church here. I've worked with him for years. And he'll raise his hand every Sunday that he wants to be saved. And he finally did it today. He said, that song or something you said triggered him, you know, that, that he, he saw the need of salvation and he surrendered his heart to the Lord. That's, that's why I like that song. I like what it says. That's awesome. Great yeah, story. That's what it's all about is seeing yep. somebody saved. Yep, absolutely. So, Phil, do you have a favorite venue that you sang at, one that really sticks out in your mind? Uh, one of the best, the best auditorium place that I've ever sung, to me, was in Reynolds Auditorium in Winston-Salem. I mentioned it earlier. Yeah. But it was at a high school, and I have heard it said, I don't know that it's the truth, but I have Heard it said, and this is an old auditorium, too. It was built years ago at R.J. Uh, Reynolds High School. I've heard it said that you sat in the balcony, on the very back row of the balcony, and somebody on the stage could just whisper, you know, a pretty loud whisper, and you could hear it on the very back row in the balcony of that auditorium. Now, I never tried it, but I've heard people, a lot of people say that. Oh, wow. Because it didn't take a lot of sound, you know, to put a good sound in that building. Mm -hmm. I don't know what was different about it, but I used to, and it would always, whenever we would sing there, we used to go four times a year. And every every uh, uh, four months, they'd have a concert. And the Harvesters was on most of those concerts and, uh, because Bob Thacker was on that TV show, Gospel Songs. And uh, he would all, they'd always put the Harvesters on, on the uh, program. Plus, they had a lot of requests for the Harvesters. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's great. Now, uh, another venue kind of that you sang at was the, uh, the Gospel Singing Jubilee. I know you sang there with the Dixon Melody Boys. Tell me about the Gospel Singing Jubilee. I know you uh, probably had fun on there for sure. Uh, that was when it was in. Uh, they did that in Kentucky, I believe. I believe that's where it was at. It's been so long now. You ask, you going way back now. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I we did that with the Florida boys, and uh, I know back a long time ago. Uh, we did that, uh, recorded that with them. 
and the Henson's family was on the program with us. Well, if you know Ronnie Henson, he was always pulling a joke on somebody. Yeah. If you've ever been around him much, you know you know what I was talking about. Some people, some people out there will remember. He just liked to pull jokes on people. And I remember one time that the Florida boys, were, uh, you know, they were recording them doing their song. And in the middle of the song, you'd have to watch, really be watching for it, I guess, to see it. But uh, while they were singing, all of a sudden you see a football go flying by their backs. And Ronnie and I guess it was Kenny was on each side of that stage passing a football back and forth. (laughs) 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 That's, that's what I remember most about uh, doing that program. But that's it was awesome. just funny. It was funny to me. Ronnie didn't care. I mean, he would pull jokes on people. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I know a lot of folks watched that show growing up on, uh, oh, Sunday, yeah. on Sunday mornings. Oh, yes. I remember, and speaking of the Florida boys and the Hensons, we sung it in Bonifay, Florida one time when I was with the Dixie Melody boys. I think J.G. Whitfield at that time is the one that put that singing on. And he owned the singing news at that time. Yep. And uh, is in Bonifay on the football field. And they called it all night singing. And that's what it was. It lasted from sundown till sunup. Well, the Hensons were always pulling jokes on people. So... The Dixie Melody Boys was on the program and the Florida Boys. I don't remember who all else. But after we got through singing, Glenn Allred with the Florida Boys came to us. So I got something I want you boys to help me do. And they said, we said, what in the world do you want, Glenn? He said, come on. He said, we're going to go to this store down here. Now, there was a lot of places uh, to go fishing down there around Bonifay. So we go down to this store. I don't know how he knew about it, but they sold uh, fishing supplies. They had bait and stuff. And they had crickets. So they they had these little boxes like you get at a Chinese place, you know, that had to uh, would fasten up with the top of it would fasten with a wire. And we go in there, and I forget how many boxes of crickets that Glenn Allred bought. We had all we could carry, and there was four or five of us. Mm. We go back up to the where the buses were parked, and he knew how to get the door open on the Henson's bus. So we go in that bus, or Glenn does, and he takes those boxes of crickets and he pours those things in their closets, mm. in their drawers, <laughs> anywhere he could put them, he poured crickets out underneath their sofas. So that night when they get on the bus, you know, they go down the road and those crickets don't make no noise. So they drive, to, you know, when they leave. They drive to where they're getting, going to sing next. 
they park the bus and they go to bed. Everything gets real quiet. All of a sudden, those crickets start making their noise. They start singing. Yeah. It kept them awake all night long. And this went on till every one of those crickets died. Mm, wow. That was so funny. They didn't get hardly any sleep. And then the, the smell of those crickets died. <laughs> Glenn Allred really pulled a good one on them then. Mm. Ronnie deserved it. I'll have to say he deserved it. <laughs> oh, me. Well, that's cool. And uh, hey, I'm gonna, let me tell you something. Glenn Allred was a singing machine, buddy. Yeah, Glenn buddy. Allred was a singer and a half. Yes, sir. He sure was. He was a nice guy, too. Oh, yeah. I really liked him. That's awesome. I really liked him. That is awesome. But I have two more things for you real quick. Um, and the first thing is we're going to do something called the Fast Five. It's not anything hard, just just five simple questions. Um, the first one is, what is your favorite TV show? Gunsmoke. All right. Now, this one was posted on Facebook uh, as a question. What is your favorite donut? Uh, lemon fill. Lemon Krispy fill. Kreme. Krispy Kreme. Krispy Kreme. There you go. That's my favorite, too. Uh, how about your favorite restaurant? Uh, Olive Garden. That's a good one. How about your favorite va vacation spot? Myrtle Beach. And your favorite food? Spaghetti. Good choices. But uh, anyway... Brother, I thoroughly enjoyed doing this, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate uh, you uh, doing this with me. Oh, yeah, man. I've been looking forward to it. I just hope I'm not rambled too much. Oh, no. But, I, but this type of show, you don't have time to think about what you're going to say because you don't know what you're going to ask. Yeah, well, that's that's part of it, I guess. But uh, I do have one more question for you, uh, and that is if you were to leave Earth tomorrow, what, what do you think would be the last song that you would sing for the world? Uh, oh, what a savior. That's a great song. Yep. Great song. And, uh, but anyway, once again, brother, I thoroughly enjoyed doing this and I appreciate you, uh, doing it with me, man. I appreciate you asking me to, it's been an honor. Well, I appreciate it, brother. And, uh, you have a great night. All right. All right, buddy. You too. We love you. Love you, buddy. Talk to you later. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's interview with my friend Phil Barker. If you would, please share this interview with your family and your friends, whether it be by text or Facebook or whatever the case may be, and uh, that'd be much appreciated. But uh, with that being said, please tune in next Saturday for another great conversation right here on the Southern Gospel Conversations podcast. Thank you so much.